1: April showers bring May flowers, but what do May flowers bring?
2: I don't know. Pilgrims. <laughs> Pilgrims. It's not even Thanksgiving
1: yet. And it's not April either. <laughs> <laughs> but it is May, which is why that still worked. But actually, Paul, your episode will air in June. So,
2: mm. you know, it's spring. Spring has sprung. I think summer starts June twenty, like seventh or something ridiculous, so we got time. Great. Perfect. It is springtime.
1: And this is episode 51. Paul, you are the closer. We brought you in today to close the whole mini-series on everything is Yes, by Marie Forleo. We've gone through chapters 1 through 10. We've had Jill, we've had Josh, and now we have you to close us out from the spiritual perspective and just what it's like to live the everything is outable philosophy through your Christian walk.
0: Perfect. So glad I could be on.
1: So why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, get us familiar with who you are and kind of what you do?
0: Well, I am a husband, a dad, and a pastor, along with uh, just being an ordinary person. And so um, I have four kids. I've been married for 27 years next week, and uh, which doesn't seem possible. But, uh, I mean, it's not that it doesn't seem possible to stay married to Jill. It just doesn't <laughs> seem possible. possible. Yes, yes. It just doesn't seem possible that it's been 27 years. And so um, we have four kids. We've got a 21-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a, uh 8-year-old. And so, yeah, so... Uh, four kids. I've been a past. Uh, I've been in ministry since I was 20 years old. Was a youth pastor for a while. Um, helped start a church, Sea uh, Life, and have been pastoring there for 14 years now. So,
1: let's do kind of like a timeline because you did start out at one church and then you realized that you felt called to do something totally different, and there wasn't a way but you found out how to make a way so walk us through that whole thing because that was life-altering not just for you but i go to your church baron goes to your church so it's it's been life-altering for lots of people so just because you one person decided to say this this is what i'm supposed to do i'm going to do it and if there's not a way i'm going to make a way or god's going to make a way so walk us kind of through that whole journey
0: well, for, for me, so uh, I, start, I worked as a youth pastor uh, starting while I was at Baylor University and then graduated there, stayed around uh, for four more years working at a church that we loved. We loved the people there. We loved the kids there. Um, felt a sense of, honestly, just God moving us and uh, moved to a church in Mesquite, which is where I met you, Brooke, mm-hmm. at Mimosa Lane Baptist Church, uh, now called Inspiration Church, and I was there for eight years, uh, worked for eight years in youth ministry there, had loved it, had an awesome time, had great uh, kids there, great youth workers, uh, loved the church, but came to this place of just feeling like God was doing something different in our life. And I kind of transitioned at Mamos Lane too, for the last uh, two or three years I was there. I kind of moved into a minister to adults, teaching pastor role, and then... Um, honestly, for me, it was, uh, I was on sabbatical, so I changed roles, and I was um, kind of over adult education kind of stuff, and it was kind of, it wasn't really, uh, probably not really my thing, and um, felt a little stagnant in that, and so at one point, uh, my wife, Jill, said to me one night, she said, I think you're losing your passion for ministry, and she wasn't, wasn't like we were in a fight or something, you know, and it was just like in a really normal conversation, and and I said to her, "I said, no, you know, I'm not because honestly, for me, it's like as long as you don't admit it, it's not really happening, you know." And so that's kind of my.
1: What enneagram number are you again?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm an eight.
1: Uh-huh. I don't
0: know if that I don't know if that fits into that or not, but uh, y'all can tell me that later. So um, I'm an eight with a pretty strong seven wing. So so anyway. Um, you know, so I, I was like, but it, it kind of stuck with me, and I just kept thinking about that. Like, no, am I losing my passion for ministry? And, and what I realized is I wasn't losing my passion for ministry, but I was losing my passion for that ministry. And, um, you know, for me, like, I, I like to build things. I've always liked to build things. And so I like building youth groups. Um, and then I was in this situation, and it was more of a maintenance kind of situation. And so that just kind of was a... Um, just didn't excite me the same way, and so, you know, and then I was, I was talking with David and Randy, and we were having, especially me and David, we were having a lot of conversations, and they were kind of going through this thing, and I just kept talking about what it would be like to start a church, and felt like God was in that, and went from there, so.
1: So did y'all have a road map on how to do that?
0: Oh, no, <laughs> no, there was no roadmap. map. <laughs> so you know, it's what funny, you do? so, so, David, uh, we used to go to conferences together when I was at Mimosa Lane, and they were at First Bad to Sunnyvale, and, um, you know, I'd, I'd asked David, I'd talked, me and David ate lunch, we were friends for a long time, uh, even before I came to Mimosa Lane, and so we would eat lunch pretty often, and uh, I told him one time, hey, we ought to go to this conference, and so we went to this conference, and a couple of other guys, but we would, we would always stay in the same room, and we would stay up late at night talking about, man, if, Nah, if we can start over, this is what church would look like. This is kind of what church would look like for us. And so we would think about that and dream about that. And um and then it, you know, I mean, you know, their situation was a little bit different. It wasn't it wasn't uh super rosy. There were kind of some some conflict um arising there. Uh that kind of forced their hand a little bit. But for me it was just, man, this is a new uh beginning, get to start something and build something and hope it works out. <laughs> you know? Jill was, uh, I think Jill was six months pregnant at the time. No, no, not, not six months, probably, uh, four months pregnant at the time. So we had another kid coming, uh, no insurance, no promise of salary. There was, there was a lot to it, but,
2: uh, sounds legit. Let's do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. And Jill was awesome at it. So he was super pumped about it and excited about it. And,
1: that's so, so cool. So we went from there. And so now, this many years later, the church is not just surviving, it's thriving, and that's so cool yeah. to see. And so, tell, so for our listeners who aren't aren't familiar with how it's constructed or what the church looks like, will you just kind of explain that real quick?
0: Yeah, so we don't have a senior pastor. There's three of us that are co-pastors. Um, we've got a whole bunch of staff of 40-something staff people that work at the church, uh, most probably about 40 full-time people um and so we all divide up like leadership responsibilities we've all got groups of people that we supervise and um so we share that leadership responsibility share the teaching responsibility and uh I think that's probably a pretty simple explanation of it
2: well, like, but we don't what I was how many did you start with like who was in the original group and now we have how many campuses and uh...
0: so we started um, you know our best guess is it's a little bit hard to say because you know first couple of Sundays we had all kinds of people there that were just friends or that weren't really going to ever be a part of the church but that were just you know just wanted to support so our best guess is that we started with about 200 people that were going to be a part of C-Level, which is a big start. I mean, there was, there's, you know, that's just a huge blessing. God was all in that. Um, that's that's way, you know, a lot of churches never get to 200 people. That's a really tough thing to break. So we were just super blessed in that. Um, but we started with about 200 people. Now, on an average Sunday, we run somewhere around Forty. I mean, right now is hard to hard to know because <laughs> nobody's running anything. You know, it's like we don't have any people right now. So, um, but all, before COVID nineteen happened, uh, we were running about forty two to forty five hundred people every week on four campuses. So. That's
2: awesome.
0: Okay, yeah, so it's been really
2: cool. As
1: far as so now we're going to kind of switch gears on how does that look in the Bible? So you. Um, had an impossible, impossible, air quote, dream put in your head, in your heart. I feel like I'm called to do this. There is no roadmap, so I'm going to make a way. Can you think of any biblical references, examples, stories that kind of have similar outlines?
0: Yeah, like like all of them, probably, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, it feels like, um, you know, it feels like every great story in the Bible is a story like that, where God says, go, and people are obedient. And, and I don't want to over, overplay, you know, our thing. I mean, honestly, you know, it felt a lot more, it felt a lot more just normal and right at the time too. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, there was, I think it was walking by faith, but it wasn't like we're all some kind of, you know, superheroes in that for sure. It didn't, it certainly didn't feel like that at the time. Um, But I think, you know, just if you go back, you know, to the story of Abraham, to the story of Noah, um, you know, they're all stories of God saying, God leading and directing. And you're not not knowing exactly how it's going to work out. And you move forward in the best that you know how to move forward. And you just do what like this looks like what ought to be done right now. This looks like the next step. And I can see I can see eight feet ahead and so I'll just move that eight feet. And, you know, the perfect illustration, I think, is just the way um, of fate is just the way it is when you're driving in the car at night. And all you have are the headlights that go, you know, they're, they're about the headlights are about eight seconds in front of you, maybe less than that. And, you know, if you think about how crazy that is, that you're headed down the road at 70 miles an hour and all you can see in front of you is about eight seconds. So eight seconds later, you're, you're doomed if you don't keep moving forward. But when you keep moving forward, obviously the lights keep moving forward too. And I think that's the way God normally works in our life is that he says, and I want you to take this step. And we oftentimes we want to go, but God, I can't see what the next step would be. Can you show me the next step? And God's going, no, I'll show you the next step when you take this step. And, um, you know, so it's not until you take that step that, things get clearer. We want things clearer before we take that step, you know? In fact, that, that was a, you know, one of, my, one of my sermons a couple of weeks ago was on the, Jesus healing the blind man. And it was putting mud on his face and saying, go wash in that pool. And then you, and, you know, the pool was a ways off, which when you're blind and have mud on your face, that, that's kind of a, um, that's an overwhelming thought that you're going to have to go while you're blind to the pool, and most of the time i think people are saying no oh, god if you will if you will clean clean my eyes up and let me see then i'll go to the pool you know and and the miracle though doesn't come until we take those steps of faith and then we're able to look backwards and see how god was behind it the whole way
1: so what would you what does it look like how do you how do you know what the next right step is how does someone hear God or what are some ways that people could be looking for or listening for so they know, okay, that is my next step as opposed to just flying
0: blind? Well, I think, I think super practically, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot to being grounded in God's word because God directs us out of his word. And what we know is that he's not going to lead us into something that's outside of his word. And so the Holy Spirit is never going to take me in a direction that is anti the truth of God's scripture. And so the more I'm dug down into God's word, the more I get into God's word and God's word into me, um, that gives me just a great filter for the first step is to go, okay, does this align with what God says? Does this align with God's truth? And honestly, even, you know, maybe even a little more, um, yeah, that's an awesome uh, sunset behind me, isn't it? I just love <laughs> it my little. little. Yeah. Um, anyway. Is it so, or is it a <laughs>
2: virtual background? No,
0: that's that's actually real. That's actually real. So, um, But even before that filter, you know, even before the filter of does this, this just, just anti-God's word. I think there's the fact that when you're in God's word and you're taking it into your life, you begin to see things from a different paradigm. You begin to see things with a, with a new lens. And so it helps you to evaluate opportunities and decisions just from a spiritual, um, through, through spiritual eyes. And so I think practically, first of all, is just becoming familiar with God's truth and with God's word and, um, you know, getting God's word into you. And then secondly, I think there's a sense of, uh, prayer and saying, God, you know, what do you want me to do? And, and then there's a lot of discernment. You know, there's a lot of just, and I think, you know, the, the Bible says in Psalms, it says that, um, what does it say in Psalms? Do y'all know? Um, anyway, do no, <laughs> <Well, that's laughs> think you're, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, so yeah, lots yeah, of, lots of stuff. It's a, <laughs> yeah. so it says that, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so I think it's completely okay and even wise for Christians when they align themselves with God's truth and with God's will to say, what do I want to do here? Like what just kind of makes me excited? What lights me up? What do I want to do here? And honestly, I feel like this is where a lot of Christians miss it. They kind of approach the Christian life as if the more I don't want to do it, the more God has to be in it. You know, (laughs) that if I can find what God, what if I can find what is going to make me the most miserable, then that must be what God's it's kind of, you know, I don't know, this, this quest to be a martyr, um, you know, and so, so you hear people say these things like, man, don't ever give yourself fully to God, because if you do, he's going to send you to Africa, of course, you know, that's (laughs) where, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say stuff like that along the way. And I'm, I'm like, well, first of all, everybody I've ever known that got sent to Africa could not wait to get there. You know, they were so pumped to go to Africa. And so the reality is that, I think generally God leads us, when we're submitted to him, God leads us through our desires. God leads us by kind of taking us and, you know, moving the desires of our heart a little bit, informing us to where we go, oh, that looks awesome, God. And God's going, yeah, I know. That's where I've been taking you the whole time. (laughs) And so so honestly, I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of times we make that way harder than it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, and that's one of the things about the Christian life that, that I've discovered is that, you know, what Jesus, Jesus talked about his uh, yoke being easy and his burden being light. And we want to make his yoke hard and his burden heavy. And, and Jesus, well, no, it's supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be easy. You just fall in love with, with me and you submit yourself to my will. And then I'll guide you and direct you.
2: Do you think for some people it's easier to use it as an excuse to not, like maybe they're afraid or don't have the confidence to go that direction? So they're like, oh, this, like you said, the martyr lifestyle, I'll just, I'll sacrifice my wants and desires and stay
0: where I'm at. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great point. I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's a really great point that I think oftentimes. We want to hide behind that because if I, if I really pursue what I want, then I'm putting myself out there and there's a lot of risk. There's, there's a chance, an opportunity for embarrassment. Um, you know, and the, the other thing I would say about it is generally my experience has been um, I'm very seldom ever more than about 55% sure, you know? About and, and the rest of it is like, God, I think this is what you're saying. And, and my prayer all the time with big decisions, I pray this, uh, I've prayed this every move I've ever made. I prayed this, uh, I pray this for our church all the time when we're making a big decision. Is God, we, we want to be where you want us, like, I, we're trying to do what you want us, I'm trying to do what you want to, want me to do. And so, if I'm screwing this up, man, would you just close the door and not let me do it because I'm not doing it on purpose. I want to be where you want me to be. And and I've just found God to be really faithful with that. God to be really faithful to say, Hey, you're you're trying here. You're you're trying to do what I want you to do. So I'm not gonna let you screw this up, you know?
2: We have a similar prayer. I said it in Jill's episode, but in case people haven't heard it. Uh we have the I'm stupid prayer where it's like, yeah, right. I'm sure you've given us plenty of signs and directions. But I miss, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. So if you could just make it, you know, as clear as can be, I'm going to keep moving forward. But, you know, if you need to redirect me, (laughs) help me out here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and there's been several times that God's done that, that I, that uh, uh, there's been some times with our church that, you know, we thought we were going to do one thing and it looked good and we're making plans for that. And God closes the door. And we discover later that, hey, it was in pursuing that, that we were ready for what God really had for us, you know. And so I think the idea that God is up in heaven somewhere going, "Ooh, I'm going to see if I can trick you here, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're trying, but this is like a maze. And, you, you know, I'm going to like make you keep wandering around that God isn't that God isn't directing us and doesn't want us to find his will. You know, I think that's just a, a really poor Uh, view of God to think that we would have a heavenly father that would do that to us who would do that to their kid can you imagine (laughs) with your kid going I know you want to do what's right but I'm not going to help you find it I'm going to see if I can trick you with this so
1: it's like in is it numbers where they have all these rules like if you have mold on your clothes you need to do this this and this and they're like oh my god why do I gotta do that and God's like it's because I told you we would have lots of Father Abraham would have many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. So if we need to not wear the moldy clothes so we don't get sick and die, trying to keep you right.
0: here, here's this right.
1: really bizarre rule. That way your group can live. past the yeah, right. Moldy clothes.
0: <laughs> That's good. I would I would feel better about the Brooke if you would sing that Father Abraham song.
1: Father Abraham. Okay. <laughs> you asked you gotta be careful right yeah. arm left arm I can go all day uh so this there's a verse that gets taken out of context a whole lot it's the I can do all things and then it's Through Christ who strengthens me yeah but or it's the I'm 100 in charge of my life or I can do anything but there's that caveat of are are you aligned so will you talk into that a little bit? So the whole prosperity of gospel versus the, this is what the Bible is saying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of exactly where to start with that. You know, first, first of all, I kind of like self-help books. And so I don't, don't tell uh, we, anybody that. That's all we do. We do self-help <laughs> <Yeah>. books. <laughs> so I, I, like, um, I like books that are self-help books. But I also recognize um, the problem, and my friend uh, Louis Giglio says it like this: He says, "Yourself can't help. You know, if yourself could help, then you wouldn't be in the mess you're in now." And the reality is, um, the thing that so so for me, when I read a book um, that's a self-help book that isn't a spiritual book, and I read a lot of non-spiritual books, I have a filter to to sort those through and to take what belongs um, from a scriptural standpoint and, and then release the rest of it and go, yeah, that's not really, that doesn't really line up with what God's word says. And I, and I think a lot of times you can discover some great principles um, and they're just truth, you know, and, and my belief is that all truth is God's truth. So it doesn't, you know, there's everything in the Bible is true, but not everything true is in the Bible. So, you know, I, that's just a logical standpoint. The Bible doesn't say anything about gravity. Gravity's true, okay? So, um, but I think the, the danger of it is when somebody doesn't have a biblical worldview, when their their life is not grounded in scripture and you take something and you go, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, I can do it on my own, and you miss out on it. No, that's not really true. That's not what the Bible teaches us. And so- you know, I think you have to be careful with some of those things to, to recognize, um, hey, there's a lot of good principles in self-help books that, aren't, that are not just true, but not everything in a self-help book is true. And, and um, you know, so, so that's the first thing. The second thing, as you talk about the, the prosperity gospel, um, so I'm a big God is for us kind of person. Uh, I think God is on our side. I think there's a lot of truth to when you when you um, ground yourself in God's word, when you seek your satisfaction in God, um, life is better. And so uh, I remember having this discussion with a worship leader one time. He was saying something about, he was saying something um, in between songs at one of our CLF campuses about you know, it's hard to be a Christian, and, and I told him afterwards, I was like, hey, don't, let's, let's don't say that, because when you say it's hard to be a Christian, what that, what people hear is it's harder to be a Christian, and I just think that's absolutely false. I think it's true that not everything's easy for Christians. Um, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust alike, that you have difficulty. Jesus said that, hey, you, you know, in this world, you will face trials, and so we recognize that, but non-people, non-Christians, not non-people. I don't know any non-people, mm-hmm. so uh, to be clear. So <laughs> non-Christians, though, face trials too. Non-Christians have babies that die. Non-Christians get cancer um, just the same way Christians do. And I can't, you know, I, I, I'm in a lot of hospital rooms uh, with people suffering, and I can just promise you there's a difference in people that have a relationship with God and with people that don't. And so whenever you say it's hard to be a Christian, I'm like, you know what would be hard is to be a non-Christian. That's the reality, is to go through the difficulties of life without having a hope in Jesus, to go through the difficulties of life without having any sort of bigger picture that gives meaning to the things that you're suffering through. I can't even imagine that. I've I've been a Christian since I was nine years old and I can't imagine going a single day without having a relationship with God. And that's not because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really not, I'm not that spiritual. I wish I was more spiritual. That's not because I'm super spiritual. That's just because the reality of the hope that we have in Christ is, is really big. And so you know, one, I think it's, I think life is better when you're a Christian. And so if that sounds like prosperity gospel, um, I don't, I don't think it is, but, but it is true that your life prospers and and that doesn't necessarily mean materially, but life is better when you're, um, when you're a Christian. So I'm not a prosperity gospel person, but I'm also not a poverty gospel person. And I think there's a sense in which, um, this is maybe kind of disappearing a little bit, but for a while, all I was hearing people talk about was how great it was to be poor. And I'm like, okay, I don't really understand what we're doing here then because everybody's talking about, man, when you're, you know, you're, when you're poor, when you don't have anything, life is, you can be so much closer to God. And I'm like, well, why are we taking these mission trips then and trying to take uh, these poor people, all of our stuff and, and help them to not be so poor? shouldn't we just encourage them to keep doing that because life is better for you? You know, feels like kind of backwards. And so, you know, I think that the Bible teaches that there are, there's uh, wealthy people that are righteous and there's wealthy people that are unrighteous and there's poor people that are righteous and there's poor people that are, and people that are unrighteous. And um, I don't even know if that's your question. I think I'm completely off your question at this point, but.
2: No, I think you've said a lot of like great things that weren't, that were part of the question and then some. So I'm glad you elaborated and shared all that. Bonus
1: insight.
0: material.
2: Whoop, whoop. I love it.
0: No, it's yeah, good. So if, if there's anything that comes out of that, that you, that I need to clarify, I'm, I'm happy to maybe try to do that. But yeah. if I can't, if that, if that was confusing.
1: Yeah. If you're listening to the episode right now, you can just shoot us an email and we will get answers for you and clarify. Okay, so Paul, the next question is so from the Christian perspective, how do we figure out those hard things? So you talked about like having a hope in Christ so whenever we do lose the kid or our covid has affected our job, we've lost our job, we're in this whole spiral, so how how can we figure it out and how can we press on?
0: Well, I think the first thing is that when, you know, a relationship with Jesus is about faith. And and, and we have, our relationship with God is totally by faith. And the reality is we can't see everything that's happening. We don't know why it's going to happen or or why it's happening. So I think we have to look, one one thing is that we can look back and we can look back at God's faithfulness in the past. And, you know, I, I think you guys can probably relate to this. I can think of so many times in my life when things did not make sense and when I was going, what what is this about? But five years down the road, it was like, ah, oh, that is so clear to see what God was doing there. And so, so for me now, when I when I'm facing something that doesn't make sense, I have the perspective to go. But I've faced things that didn't make sense before, and all and every time, I can see looking back God's handiwork in that. And so I can trust that that's going to happen. Here too. And I don't know if it'll be two years down the road or five years down the road or may not be till I get to heaven that I'm going to look back and see, man, God's hand was in that. And one of the things that I've just uh, really been pressed in on about God is that God makes things great in the end. And, um, you know, one of the things that we say is that, man, God makes all things good in the end. And if it's not good, then it's not the end, and so if, you know, one of the things that is really the most miraculous about God to me, one of the things that blows my mind the most about God is his ability to take things that are messed up and to redeem them, and, you know, we did a series about the family, um, this, is, this has been a long time ago, but it was called Picture Perfect, and I don't know if y'all remember that at all, or if y'all were even around, C so left him, but, you know, the idea was that you take these you get you buy these picture frames and they've got this picture of a stock family in there you know like it and you've got you know the beautiful wife a handsome husband 16-year-old daughter 14-year-old son and a golden retriever you know and and the what what you don't know behind the scenes is that they're not really that perfect the dad's having an affair the mom's addicted to painkillers the daughter is anorexic, the son is, you know, smoking something, and the golden retriever has heartburns, you know. So they're they're not near as perfect as they look. But when we did that series, it struck me that the purpose of the family is not to be perfect. The perfect, the purpose of family is to show that God redeems all things. And so if you think about it, if you think about I couldn't think of a single example in the Bible of a family that we wouldn't qualify as dysfunctional. I mean, not, not one from beginning to end, you know, the whole thing starts with a brother killing his brother. So that's kind of a bad kickoff to the whole story. And it, and it, in some ways it just gets worse from there. So I couldn't think of one single example of, of a family that we would, go, oh yeah, That look, there's a perfect family. That's the role of family is to make everybody perfect. No, the role is to show that God takes broken, messed up things and makes them new. And I think that's true in all areas of our life that, um, you know, the number of times that I've had conversations with people that lost their jobs but out of that lost job they started a business or they started a new career that was so much better than what they had before um, is You know, those kind of stories happen to me all the time. And so I think the main thing that we have to learn to do as believers is in the middle of difficulty, have a faith perspective that says, man, I know God is going to do something in this. I know that God is making something great out of this situation.
2: So what um, is your advice any different in traumatic situations? Maybe. Brought upon by yourself that maybe, you know, God knew, but like it seems like it's happening to you, like you're someone else's sin is causing you. You're happening up on a car accident or some, you know, just trauma, any type of traumatic Mm -hmm. event. Um, is do you have any additional advice or uh different advice or something like that?
0: Yeah. Well, I think first of all, you know, the the truth is still there that God's gonna take God's going to take those things and God doesn't cause those things to make something great in the end, but he will take those circumstances and make something great in the end. So that truth is still relevant. I think, even in them, even in things that we go, I don't understand how this could ever be good. You know, when, when you're, you know, if your 16 year old dies in a car accident, it's, it's really difficult in that moment to see how God's going to take that and make something good. So that's when we have to keep walking by faith to say, even in those most horrid situations, God will take something and make it good. But the other, the other thing that I would say in those those major tragedies of life, um, the other aspect of our faith is we have to learn to say, I don't have, I, I have to trust God to give me the grace to make it through that day, and that's it. That's it. In um, oftentimes, you know, in those times, I in in tragedies like that, I hear people and talk to people that are thinking about five years down the road. You know, it's who's going to walk my daughter down the aisle now that her that my husband died. It's they're thinking about ten years down the road. And my counsel is always, listen, you don't have to you don't have to have all those things worked out. All you have to do right now is get through today. And the faith aspect of that is that you trust that God will show up again tomorrow and give you enough grace to get through the tomorrow, you know, and one of my favorite uh, passages to scripture is Lamentations chapter three. And I think it's verse 23 that says uh, God's mercies are new every single morning. And I love the way, you know, that really relates back to God training the Israelites when they didn't have enough faith. And so he sends them back into the wilderness for faith university it's like, okay, you, you don't trust me to go forward, so we're going to develop your faith. And so they're in the, the wilderness for 40 years. And when they're hungry, every morning he would drop bread down, and you know, which is super gracious and awesome of God to do that. But what he told him is you can only take enough for that day. And that seems like kind of simple until you think about if you put yourself in that situation and you've got a family to feed and you don't have any other way to get food, and there's food laying everywhere on the ground, I think all of us would want to say, man, I've got to, I've got to gather and hoard some food for tomorrow because what if this doesn't happen tomorrow? You know, what if, what if this same miracle doesn't happen? What are we going to do? And God said, no, don't do that because I want you to know, and I want you to be sure, and I want you to trust that, hey, all I have is today, and so, God, if you don't show up tomorrow, we're in trouble. And God would show up the next day and drop food. And so I think for all of us learning to live that way in, in the difficulties of life, especially to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Um, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this month, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm really questionable about today, but if you'll just give me the strength and the grace to get through today, and then I'm trusting you, God, to show up again tomorrow. And, and generally, um, when, you, when you just pull back a little bit and say, I'm not trying to get through, you know, six months from now, I'm not worried about five years from now, I'm just going to trust God to show up today, God shows up that day, and you can see it at the end of the day. And and I can't tell you how many times people have said, "I don't know where that strength came from. I don't know. I don't know how I got through that." And you know, most of us have been there to say, "And that that time was so difficult. It doesn't make sense." But for some reason, I just I just felt some strength. You know, I just felt some strength. And the next day, the next day, you don't know how you're going to make it. But God shows up again and gets you through that day. So
1: sounds like the newborn phase. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and, you know, that is the thing that, that I say to parents all the time is, look, first of all, the the uh, the years are really, the, the days are really long, but the years are really short. And so, and I promise you, I promise you, you're going to get through those, you know, six months or nine months of very little sleep and you're going to go, man, I wish I had those again. <laughs> I, I wish I could sleep more through them, but I, I missed that time, you know? So
2: you talked about, you know, an isolated incident, a traumatic incident, Um, again, any different um, advice, if it's like a mental illness, um, an ongoing battle with depression or anxiety, Um, so like you have good days and bad days, and sometimes you can see them coming and you can't, Um, how do you figure your way out of that mind battle?
0: Well I think um you know first of all, that you you have to come to a point of recognizing that um, it's your weakness that pulls you closer to god, and um you know i I think Jill shared this on y'all's podcast, but um you know she had this time of dealing with anxiety and um and for her, you know, going to a counselor coming back and and for her, it was really this point of seeing that, you know what, I'm not strong on my own. And I remember having this conversation with her to say, and she was saying, but man, Paul, I, I, wanna, I just want to feel strong again. And I'm like, but you're not strong. And really the greatest tool that you have is to recognize your weakness because your weakness causes you to be dependent upon God. And so, you know, I think in, the, in all those situations and everybody, nobody wants them to happen. And so we don't, we don't pray for those into anybody's life. God, could you just bring a real sense of weakness and devastation to their life so that they can see that you're strong? But in the midst of those, they, they cause you to say, hey, I can't make this on my own, God. I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need you to show up in my life. And you're my only hope. And I'm dependent upon you. And, and that, that weakness is our strength. You know, the reality is that our weakness is our strength. Our weakness in recognizing that causes us to be dependent upon God and to trust in God and to see God's strength rebuild in us. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's walking one day at a time through those things. It's, it's uh, just taking the next step. And oftentimes that's all we can do is say, God, I, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going to take this next step and I'm going to trust you today. And I'm going to recognize that in my weakness, you're going to be strong. And so I don't know if that helps at all, but uh, that's that so the way. To it's
1: piggyback back off on that question. So you, this is perfect because you were the spouse of someone who is in that. So from a spouse's standpoint, how do you, or how did you, from your experience, support them through that? Like they're going, they're going through it. So what can you do? Uh, and not everybody's a preacher, so they might not have that the go-to knowledge. So, what would you advise?
0: So, you know, when when Jill went through just a really uh, period of anxiety, and Jill's always been a little bit of, uh, you know, always struggled a little bit with just her thought life, and and I, that's always been hard for me to understand because I've always been like, hey, just stop worrying, just you know, stop worrying and you go sound on. Important. You <laughs> sound just <Yeah>. like.
1: <laughs> stop feeling sad and start feeling awesome.
0: <laughs> like, yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That, um, and so, you know, when I rec- when I realized like, Hey, this is, this is not, it, this is not as easy for her as you just got to start feeling right. You know, you got to make yourself start feeling right. There's more to this. and And there were days that I would come in from work and, she would just be in tears and um, just say, man, I, I hate this. I don't know how, you know, and, and I could tell she had really struggled through the day. Um, and I would just hold her and we would both cry together about it and, and pray with her and say, you know, and you're going to get through this and God's going to get you through this and you're going to be better on the other side of this. And, you know, again, that that's the reality is that Jill's better having walked through the stuff that she's walked through. I, I, I can promise you, Um, she's better. She's a better wife. She's a better mom. She's a better friend. She's more empathetic. She, she's, uh, she's closer to God through it. It, While I would never wish it, um, while I would never wish it on somebody and, you know, wouldn't wish it on her, don't tell her this, but she, I'm glad she went through it. And so don't, you know, she, she, um, she would love to get rid of it and to not ever have to deal with it again. And that would be fine with me too, but I'm glad she's dealt with it because it's made her better.
1: A lot of times in the in the podcast, we mentioned leveraging experiences. So right, like you were saying, Paul, we don't wish that upon anybody, but man, experiences, you, you're going to leverage it. So what are you going to leverage it for? You get to choose that if you're going to leverage it to grow or to stay stuck. Right. So I like how you mentioned right. that. So talk a little bit about the power of that mindset in your head about there's something that you've hit a wall, it seems impossible to get through, whether it's anxiety, like your wife or whatever it is. So how can you have that mindset shift and what's the power that comes with that?
0: Well, first of all, I think we have a lot more power over our feelings than what we want to admit that we have. So um, I, you know, I, think you can, I think you can adjust the way that you feel. You, you, have, you have a tremendous amount of ability to determine what you associate with certain actions or certain things that happen, and so um, you know, if if uh, uh, just a quick example of that. So if if somebody's walk, if a woman's walking through a building in in downtown, and a man holds the door open for her, um, one two women, one woman might say, "What a chauvinistic jerk! He thinks I can't open the door for myself," and another woman, the next woman, says, "What a gentleman! He you know opened the door for me," and so that's the same action that two people associate completely different feelings with. And I think we've got a tremendous amount of power in our lives to do that, to say, I I get to associate how I feel about this action. I get to determine what, what this means to me. And so if I decide, um, Hey, this, you know, I know God's doing something through this action. It makes a difference. If I decide and this, you know, one thing, and, Um, well, I won't go into that, but one thing is just our ability to challenge our feelings, I think is so underrated in the Christian life that um, just because you feel something doesn't make it true. And I hear people all the time that go, well, I just feel like, and I'm like, okay, but that's not right. (laughs) That's just not right. And I'm not saying I'm not acknowledging your feelings. I know I have to acknowledge you felt it But the fact that, you know, if I feel like it's, you know, it's cold outside, but it's 95 degrees, that doesn't make it cold outside. It's 95 degrees. That's a factual thing. And I'm not saying that when you listen to somebody that you don't have to acknowledge their feelings. But I am saying when you find yourself, um, when you find yourself feeling things, you ought to challenge those feelings to say, is that really true? Is that, you know, is that? The fact that I feel like uh, nobody likes me, you know, I, I feel alone. I feel like nobody really cares about me. Is that true? And, you know, and when you start to get your mind around the fact that, okay, that feeling is lying to me. In fact, you know, from a, not trying to get all uh, Twilight zone but I think that's Satan's work in our life to say that that's how Satan attacks us is through our mind. And so when I begin to challenge my feelings and say, okay, I I feel that, but God, that's not what your word teaches. That's not what I know to be true. It has a tremendous effect to relinquish those feelings, to say, okay, I don't have to feel that anymore because it's not true. And I think there's people that their natural bent makes that more difficult than others, but all of us have a responsibility to challenge our feelings with truth, to, in, in, You know, sometimes it's practical truth. It's just like, okay, that's not really happening in your world. It's not that everybody's not ignoring you just because you feel that way. And sometimes it's things that are more scriptural. You know, it's a feeling like God's abandoned me. Okay, but when I look back at my life, first of all, I know scripture teaches me that he's never going to abandon me. And then I can examine ways that God has been at work in my life. And so I, I think we all have a responsibility in our lives To challenge that Um, and when you do that it makes a tremendous impact in your life
1: I like that it's taking every thought captive so whether you're if you're feeling it you're thinking it in your head so you have to really wrestle with that and hold it up to what the Bible says Farron you were talking about an episode on Ed Milet and he talked about like you have to really go through your
2: feelings like oh my husband's ignoring me is he really
1: is yeah. he really? Yeah, right.
2: the, the guy that was on there said, you don't have to believe every thought that comes to your mind. And no, so- that,
0: is so, that is such a powerful, and I think that is just a powerful scriptural truth. And you mentioned the verse, uh, Brooke, you know, take every thought captive. And what do you do? What do people do when they take somebody captive? You know, I mean, I've, I'm pretty much an expert in this because I watched 24. <laughs> um, but when they would take somebody captive, what they do is they interrogate them. And they, they, and so when you, when you take your thought captive, you interrogate it and say, what, what are you doing here? Who sent you here is, you know, and, and you, you really try to get to the bottom of that. And so I think when we do that, it has a powerful effect on our lives. Right. I didn't mean okay. to interrupt you, Farron.
1: Oh, no, you're good. When, whenever you have a thought in your head, you need to Jack Bauer it and you need to really get in there. Well, that's, that's right. what this uh, guy I don't know. Dr. Dr. Daniel Amon, that guy he Who? he
2: said the first Dan- thing Daniel Amon
0: oh, okay, okay.
2: I'll send you the podcast episode later, <laughs> but that's the first thing he said to do was uh, you question it and then um you try to s- apply truths to it, but of course, he, like you said earlier, was coming from more of a worldly perspective as opposed to a biblical one. so I like that right. you you said you answered whatever question I would have asked. So good
0: job.
1: (laughs) So as far as spiritual growth goes, so as Christians, we don't want to stay stagnant. We want to always be moving in an upward trajectory and staying aligned with God. So if we're trying to wrestle through the thoughts and the feelings, and if God's pulling me towards this way, how can I stay aligned spiritually to make sure I'm on the right track? If you have like, five takeaways or like five things you could do?
0: Well, I think, you know, I think first of all, um, and we've mentioned this, but first of all, you get into God's word because when you do that, it just, it allows you, it gives you the ability to challenge your thoughts. You know, maybe as much as anything, it gives you the ability to say, that's not true. That's not true. And it's hard to know. It's hard to know, Um, when something, it's hard to know if something's false if you don't know what's true. And so when, when I've, when I've grounded myself in God's word, I, I'm able to do that. And so, you know, I think that everybody has to figure out how they, uh, how they best need to spend time in God's word. And I do that all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's more through journaling. Um, sometimes it's reading straight through books of the Bible, Um, Sometimes it's taking a sentence or even a word and really dwelling on that word and thinking about that word or that one verse, um, you know, for sometimes days at a time and really letting that verse uh, get into my spirit. Um, Sometimes it's memorizing scripture, but I think, and I I think it's okay to have a variety of those things to go, I I don't have to, you know, I know people that for years have taught oh, no, you spend time with God, and you, you do it the same way, and here's your four steps every day in the same place. And that just seems really, really boring to me. And so I think, you know, if you, if you tried that with your spouse, uh, that probably wouldn't go too well, you know, to go, hey, here's our date. Every time we're going to this restaurant, and we're going to talk about these things, and we're going to sit at this table at the same time.
2: But... The men
0: would
2: be glad that the women choose <laughs> where we want to eat. <laughs> the same That's, place every time. That
0: that probably is true, but the relationship would grow stagnant, you know. And and really, time with God and you're and is you're trying to develop a relationship. And so, you know, I think one you ought to keep it fresh, and sometimes that might mean a walk. Sometimes that might be journaling. Um, two, you have to recognize that everybody has different. Uh, a different pathway to God. And there's a, there's a great book. I can't remember who wrote it called pathways to, I think it's just pathways to God, but he identifies different ways that people really draw close to God. And for some people it's really intellectual study for some people it's worship for some people it's serving. Um, but when you do these things, it makes you feel close to God. And I think all of us ought to, ought to figure out what are our pathways you know what? What are the one or two or three pathways that make us go close to God? And we're responsible for making sure that we do those. Um, there was something else. What was the, what was the question again, Brooke? Oh, what it was
1: the, about like some different ways that we could stay spiritually growing. You mentioned journaling, going, oh, right, worshiping, praying. Like you, you've named right. more than five. So good job.
0: Right. Well, the let me say the last one that I would say, and this is kind of my my philosophy of how people. Um, how people become disciples. And that's that you get people, you, you tether people to the word of God and you tether people to other believers and you trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do what he promised he would do. And, and he promised that he would, he would finish the work that God began in us. You know, that's Philippians 1.6, that um, God's going to finish the work he began with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so when we're, when we're connected to God's word and we're connected to other believers then the Holy Spirit does the rest of the work in our lives. So,
2: Um, We've talked about this on some previous episodes too, that like having spiritual growth and a good foundation before these bad times come is really beneficial. Um, Not that if you find yourself in a bad moment, that that might not bring you to God.
1: Oh, now I need to start praying, right?
2: But um, how important do you think it is to kind of build up that stock of like, Having those truths, um, Lisa Lett, when we interviewed her, she said, you know, um, combating those lies in our head with uh, God's truth. And so if you don't, aren't familiar with that, you could obviously um, seek counsel. But um, how important is it, again, to kind of build your knowledge prior to facing hardships?
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's super important to have that foundation built up because the storms of life are going to come you know, and we all know that if you're not going through a storm now, then just hold on, because there will be one that's going to come. And so the more you can be undergirded with God's truth, the more sure your foundation is in Jesus Christ, um, the more able to withstand that storm you're going to be. And the reality is, you know, when the when the storm gets there, it's too late to, uh, it's too late to really build the foundation. When the storm shows up, you, your foundation better be built or you're in trouble. And so for all of us, um, you know, it, it's, just in, it's just crucial that we have a good um, buildup of God's word in our life, that we have a good, um, you know, Jesus talked about obeying God, that that is a big part of the foundation, that uh, he who, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock instead of the sand, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot to not just, not just learning God's word, but doing God's word that helps to build that foundation as well.
2: What role does um, community play in figuring out life's tough situations, or, you know, even something as, like, do I transition from this career field to a different one? Um, So, how important is community in the right community
0: right. quotes. <laughs> well, I think the reality is every one of us has uh, an incredible ability to deceive ourselves. You know, the, I don't know anybody that isn't a master at self-deception and it, it's really tough to see um, in your own life. And, you know, when I do premarital counseling, my thing is always, hey, look, my role here really is to just be a friend and to point out where y'all might have some difficulties because it's hard to see in your own life. It's hard to see in your own relationship. And you everybody knows this, everybody knows this because you have so many times when you're observing other people's lives that you're like, what are they thinking? You know, like how, how can they not see It's always so obvious in other people's lives, but it's hard to see in our own lives. And so, um, we need people in our lives that can point those things out. And, you know, you, this is easy in the sports world. You recognize that the, the, greatest, the greatest performers have a coach. You know, when, when Tiger Woods was at the top of the golf world, he had a coach, and the coach was not as good of a golfer as he was. But he was able to watch him from, you know, from afar. He, he wasn't in Tiger Woods' perspective, where it's hard to see your own swing. He was able to sit back and go, this is what you're doing. This is what you're not doing. And we need people in our lives like that that can you know, speak into our marriage, that can speak into the way that we're raising our kids, that, can, um, that have permission to observe our lives and say, hey, this is probably a blind spot. You, you, you probably can't see this from your point of view. But this is, you know, just would invite you to pray about this and to think about it. And so... I think it's crucial to have people in our lives. And, and the other thing is when you have community, you have people that have gone through it before that can remind you, hey, I went through that too. You know, we, are, we, we have babies too, and we thought they weren't going to ever sleep through the night. But they will, you know, they will. And, and so sometimes you just need somebody that's been through it before. Or they've, uh, you know, gone through a similar situation with a health crisis or um, dealing with some sort of anxiety issue or depression issue and they are able to just walk along beside you
1: that's good for you guys who are trying to find lisa let's episode that's episode eight and she it spouts off lots of scripture it's awesome so paul one of our other questions we have for you so some of our listeners have something called imposter syndrome where they have a limiting belief they're stuck in a mindset trying to grow spiritually like the Bible is too confusing. I'm not going to understand what I read. So I just close it anyway, or I'm never going to know the Bible as well as you. So why read it when
2: I can go and listen to you? Tell me. And I'm not a very good Christian because I don't know how to read the Bible.
1: What would you say (laughs) to those people who have that mindset, that imposter syndrome of I'm never going to be a good enough Christian. Why try or I'm never going to understand what this verse means. So,
2: or I'm doing it wrong.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: They're a wrong. Well,
0: way. Well, uh, I think the great, you know, the, the great thing about Christianity is really at its core, it frees us from that at its very core. It frees us from trying harder at anything. And um, you know, that's a, that, that's a little bit paradoxical maybe, for us because um, we want people to have disciplines and to work on things in their life. But at its core, Christianity says, um, hey, you don't have to do this because Jesus did this. And there's a a substitution that the righteousness of Christ, I get the righteousness of Christ, and he took all of my sinfulness. And so I'm free from having to impress anybody in that. and the reality is that I can never do anything that's going to impress God, and I can never do anything to cause him to care less about me. And when God sees me, he sees me in light of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so I, I, I can stop and be freed from striving to impress anybody. And, and that's a tough thing in our world, I think, today, because we live in this world of, let's see, how can I get people's attention and become more impressive and um, I can post about it and they can you know see the you know they see this gorgeous picture of my family at the beach but they don't know that that was the third day we took pictures six there were you know there was crying every day until then there were threats uh kids were grounded you know um it was it was a nightmare to get there and and it but when you post it on Facebook, it looks like, well, they just went out to the, that's what their family does. They just go out there and take this picture. Why can't we do that? You know? And and the reality is, um, and you're, you know, I mean, you've probably heard this before, but you're comparing your um, every day with somebody else's highlight reel. And highlights, highlights are a funny thing. You know, I used to do highlights for my wife's basketball team. And so every year at the end of the year, I would take all their games. I stopped doing this because it was a nightmare, but um, I would take all their games and I would go through, or I think one of our coaches would go through and they would put together the highlights. And then I would put all this, this video together and it would be like 30 minutes of 40 games highlights. And at the end of that thing, I would, I would always be like, how did we not win the state championship? Cause when you watch that thing over and over, it, it looks like we made every basket. We, I mean, every basket went in our, incredible defense they would throw the we stole almost every pass nobody ever scored on us you know but it was it was the highlights and the truth is the truth is is that if you went back through all those games I was looking at about you know 30 seconds out of uh, out of an hour's worth of video and so the most of the time they you know and they they're always good and so it's not like they were bad but they weren't near as good as the highlights made them look. And so it's a dangerous thing when you start comparing your life with other people's highlights. And the the reality is, the reality is I don't read my Bible. I I, I don't read my Bible and have some, um, you know, music going off in the background and an angel sitting on my shoulder. And every morning is not like some great insight that comes out of it. Most days it's like, "Hmm, okay, you know, (laughs) And you move on. And so I think, you know, when, um, I mean, just for, for me, so I'm so when I stand up and, and teach and I'm able to share some insight and somebody else is sitting out there going, well, well when I read my Bible, I don't get that. I don't, I don't even see that. I'm like, well, most of the time I don't either. You know, most of the time it just feels very normal and you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And finally something connects or, you know, the Holy Spirit of God whispers something. And so, again, um, when you start comparing your every day to somebody's highlights, it's going to get you in trouble. And so I would just say to, um, you know, to everybody to trust in what God says about who you are and to keep walking in that truth. And when you feel that limiting belief, just again, it goes back to what we've been talking about most of this episode is you have to challenge that with... What does God's word say is true about me? That God has put his Holy Spirit inside of me. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in me, Romans tells us. And so, but, so that's all I really need to know about that. You know, there's no, there's no belief that limits that when you think about it. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. If the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you, and the Bible makes that clear that if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. A Holy Spirit of God is dwelling inside of you. There are no limiting beliefs to that. There's nothing else that that matters there. So um, I think again, you just have to trust him. Is God gonna do what he promised he would do?
2: You've had such great information to share so much. And I love how much you've elaborated. Still answering the question, but again, you've shared more information than just the question. So we appreciate that. Um, So we've talked about, you know, people maybe in a hopeless situation to people in a good situation, but looking to, you know, reach for more. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to be sure to say or mention um, from a spiritual perspective specifically that maybe you didn't get a chance to speak about or that you want to reiterate?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, what I would say is that you have to just keep moving forward. You know, and there's um, several places in the Scripture where it talks about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, because, you know, in the proper time you'll receive a harvest if you don't give up. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, finally, my brothers, stand firm. And, and uh, oh, sorry, I lost the verse there. Stand firm. Um, again, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And uh, in, in James chapter, I think it's chapter one of James, when it talks about um, the reward that comes. And basically it talks about this reward that comes from just showing up, just being steady. And so it seems like God puts a massive emphasis on our, in our lives on you just keep moving forward that you don't have to know how everything's going to work out, and you, you don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be world-changing to, to take a step forward. And so um, my encouragement to everybody is just do the next right thing that you know to do. Like, hey, you don't have to have everything worked out on how you're going to save your marriage, or um, everything worked out on how you're going to, you know, get your kids back, or everything worked out on how you're going to you know, start a new career or get a new job or overcome anxiety or get past the depression or overcome the alcoholism or whatever it is. But what you can do is just the next step. You can, you can sit down your Bible open and read a chapter. You can, um, you can say a prayer. You can get in a community group. You can read a book. You know, you can take the next, just one next step and trust that God's going to then shine the light a little bit further so you can move forward another few steps there.
1: That was awesome. I love it. Okay, so listeners, we're going to close the episode with you guys, but we're going to talk to Paul backstage. So suck me suckers. Just kidding. We love you. All right, so that closes. This closes the whole mini-series.
2: Wow. Oh, and you know what? Our next one is Switch on Your Brain by Carolyn Leith. and it talks a lot about oh, awesome. controlling all those things that talk What's about.
0: it called? Switch on Your Brain? Switch on Your Brain. Is that a new book by her?
2: Um she actually has a new version of that book that comes more from biblical principles. Uh but the, the one we're doing was the first, the OG. And yeah, right. it's got a lot of science in there, but she does. She quotes scripture and, and throws that in there. I'm well. about
1: to nerd
0: out. Okay. I love, I love Carolyn Leaf. So
1: Great. Awesome. Oh, good. All right, listeners. Well, we will see you next week with our new mini-series, Switch on Your Brain. This is the conclusion. Of the Everything Is Figurative mini series by Marie Forleo and Paul, don't go away. Bye,
2: guys! Thanks for listening to the Witty and Gritty podcast. Join us at wittyandgritty.blog, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our blog, and listen to more episodes. We have a Facebook group out there just for you for
1: discussion, support, and community. And don't forget to get your freebie that's designed just for this mini series have any questions, reach out. We'll be right there.